John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, without him nothing, not anything was made that was made. In verse 4, In Him was life, and the life that was the light of man. The darkness shines, and the, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has overcome it. We, may we be blessed by the reading and hearing of God's Word this morning. You may be seated. We're starting our Advent series this morning. This will take us all the way to uh, Christmas Eve service. Uh, that's at 5.30. Mark your calendars. We'll end uh, coming together to uh, be reminded that the light of the world has come. We'll have a candlelight service on Christmas Eve at 5.30 on December the 24th. Where I'm going with this series is uh, this way, when we come and we talk about the advent of Christmas, the word advent means the anticipation or the arrival of something. And so we come this advent series with with an anticipated heart. What is God going to do and how is God going to reveal himself to us? And the advent season is a reminder that God gave us Jesus, his only son. And when we come and we celebrate advent, we celebrate Four things. We celebrate love, we celebrate joy, hope, and peace. This morning we're going to come and we're going to look at God's Word in light of the love that God has for us. This morning's sermon is this, God's greatest gift to us. It's in the form of love. We're going to look at the next three Sundays. Uh, Jesus has come as the incarnation of God. The word incarnation means this, to take on flesh, to be indwelling of a human being. So the incarnation of God is God Himself coming to us in the form of man. His name is Jesus. And so we're going to look at how Jesus fulfills three things over the next three Sundays. We'll look at how Jesus gives us hope because He is the great, uh, the great priest. And then we're going to look at Jesus as the prophet. And then we'll look at Jesus as the king who gives us great peace. So prophet, priest, and king. God himself became incarnate in the form of a baby. He grew up, but what Jesus did was to fulfill the whole counsel of God. And we're going to look at that this morning. Even this morning, everything hinges on this doctrine of the incarnation. If we do not have Jesus come to us in the form of a baby, then all other doctrines in God's Word will, will fall short. Everything hinges in our lives and in the Gospel, in the Word of God, on this promise that God made to us back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In Genesis 3, verse 15, if you remember, the fall had already happened. That God had made Adam and made Eve and put him into the garden and said to them, I'm making you in our image. And then we remember the story of the fall. The great deceiver came in and deceived Eve. And Eve offered the fruit that was told not to be eaten to Adam and the two consumed the fruit. And then it says that their eyes were opened. But then you remember they realized they had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They had in that moment fractured their relationship with a holy God. See, that's something you and I will never understand until we enter into 
the glory of glory and the holy of holies. To not have anything between us and God. Adam and Eve had nothing between them and God. And in that moment, sin entered the picture and fractured relationship. And in that fractured relationship, Adam and Eve ran and hid in the bushes and they beginning, began to provide for themselves. And then it says this in Genesis 2, that God came out of heaven and went amongst the garden and found Adam and Eve hiding in the bushes. And then you remember there's this thing that God says, these promises that God says to Eve, these promises that God says to Adam, and these promises that God says to the serpent. Well, in Genesis 3.15, we see the very first promise of the Messiah. If you'll turn there, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He says this to the serpent. He makes the promise to the serpent. This is the first declaration of the incarnation that's going to come to us. This is the very first time that God ever makes the promise of the greatest gift to us. And he says this, God says to the serpent, and I will put enmity or I'll put strife between you and the woman and between her offspring and your offspring. And He shall bruise your head and He, you shall bruise His heel. That He in that text is talking about Jesus. It's, a, it's amazing to me that after the fall, the first thing that God does is to make a promise of a gift to come to us. Think about that for a moment. Like God in His Eminence and his wisdom and his sovereignty and his goodness and his kindness is already setting the stage for Christmas. Which begs the question what do we only celebrate Christmas one day out of the year for? And we don't even do that very well. We put up a Christmas tree, some lights, get some eggnog, and uh, get crazy with trying to wrap things and put things together on Christmas Eve, and then Christmas morning comes, we run to the tree, tear open the gifts, and by about 11 o'clock, Christmas is over. And we've never really celebrated Christmas. we celebrated gifts. But the true meaning of Christmas is to be reminded that God made us a promise when we were fallen and away from Him that we wouldn't always be fallen and away from Him. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at three things this morning. The main idea of the sermon is this. God who is in spirit comes in the flesh so that we who are in the flesh may live in the spirit. You see, without God showing up and becoming the incarnation of Jesus Christ, we are doomed for all of eternity. Because if God doesn't go back and fulfill His promise in Genesis 3, then Genesis 4 all the way to Revelation chapter 20 is obsolete. Because if this one promise doesn't come to fruition, then no other promise will come to fruition. 
Everything hinges on this promise that God made to God's people that He would come as the Savior of the world. Do we see that? Do we understand the importance of Christmas? It's way more than pretty poinsettias. It's way more than a Christmas tree tucked in a corner. It's a reminder that God gave us His greatest gift. His Son Jesus. To us. But even given us His greatest gift, His gift was never meant to be solely about you. See, because God knew back in the garden that God had created Adam and Eve for one purpose and one purpose only. And that was to fully glorify Himself. And He knew at the moment that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit, that the moment of their full glorification of God would be doomed forever and everyone that came behind them would never live up to what God had created human beings for. And that was for His glory and His glory only. So Christmas isn't about you and about me. It's about God restoring us so that we could ultimately bring glorification back to God fully. Amen? Let us never miss that. And that's what all other doctrines lead us to. The glory of God. Not the glory of man. And so we see this morning the incarnation affirms that the eternal God became fully human. We look at that in three ways from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3 this morning. Really, we'll look at 1 through 18, but it comes out of the very first few words of John 1. If you ever want to read, uh, everyone says this, hey, where do I start? I'm a new Christian, where do I start? Start with the book of John. Here's what the great uh, reformer said. Uh, Martin Luther said this. He said, the book of John, the gospel of John is this. It's shallow enough for babes to wade in, but deep enough to drown an elephant. So it can cover everyone in the room. If you don't know God, start here. If you know God and you've been walking with God, start here. If all you have, one theologian says this, if all we had was one book of the Bible, he said, give me the book of John. Not Romans. He said, just give me John. Because John, and in the book of John, all the doctrines of the reality of who God is and who man is, is found in. So this morning, I would beg you, through this Christmas season, if you don't read God's Word on a consistent basis, let's get through the book of John together. But this is what John has to say. See, Mark, Luke and Matthew start the God, their Gospels with telling the Christmas story. Remember, in Matthew and in Luke, they bring us way back to Bethlehem where Jesus is going to be born and placed into a major. And so they kind of set the scene for His birth. But John and his wisdom, where does John go? It says this. John says this. In the beginning, John takes us way past Bethlehem. He takes us way past the garden. He takes us way past creation. Because if you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, how does it start there? In the beginning. So John and Genesis start the same. What the book of Genesis is doing, what the book of John is doing is saying, 
hey, before there was anything, there was already something. And he's saying this is what was before anything and everything. It says this, in the beginning was the Word. And so the first thing we'll look at this morning is that through Jesus, He is the divine Word. It's the divinity of God. We see this, that He is God Himself. The first thing that we see is this, that the the, the divine Word is this, it is the eternal Word. Like the word there means circle that in your Bible. Every place you see in, Gen- in John 1, chapter 1 through 18, circle the word word with a capital W. It means Jesus. And so he's saying this in the beginning was Jesus. He's saying to us, Jesus was never created. Though we celebrate his creation at, at his birth at Christmas, what John is saying, no, 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 that wasn't his creation. He was never created because He always was. That's so important for us. This very first three verses map out the Trinity for us. That God is three in one. He is saying to us in this passage that Jesus isn't uh, secondary to God, but that Jesus is God Himself. Which goes back to the Gospels where God through Jesus is talking about me and the Father are one. That's what got Jesus crucified was this declaration here that He wasn't just a man, but He was God. That's what put Him to the cross. You see, that's what Jehovah's Witnesses, they miss. They would say Jesus is a God, but they will not say Jesus is the God. And so we come this Christmas to celebrate the God of the universe for us. You see how He's the greatest gift? He wasn't wrapped up as he was wrapped in baby form, but he has always been. So we see him as the divine, eternal being. But here's the beauty of it. Here's where everything in all of our religion separates us from everything else. This next true point. Not only was he fully God, but we see the next word. And the word was with God. He was fully human. One theologian says this. He says that this, truly God and truly man. You see, every other religion would say, oh yeah, we had a prophet. We had a prophet given to us by God. Muhammad was a prophet from Allah. But no other claim in all of the world, any other world religion would make this claim that he was fully God and fully man, and they coexisted. You see, it's so important for us to believe that this morning, that Jesus Christ is not just Jesus in human form, but He's also in God form. He's fully God, which means He has all the power. We'll see in a moment that it says this, that through Jesus, when He speaks words, things fly into existence. Right? Is that not what it says in Genesis chapter 1? That God spoke. What was He speaking? The Word of God. Who is the Word of God? Christ Jesus. And what John says here, in Him all things were 
created, which says to us back in Genesis chapter one, well, who was doing the creation? It was God speaking. But what was he speaking? He was at the beginning speaking Jesus and Jesus was bringing about the will of God. You see, the will of God was to create creation, but it wasn't going to be created without the word of God. And so we must see that God is through Jesus is fully God and fully human. He is the divine word. Do we believe that this morning? The next thing that we see in the passage is this. Not only was he the divine word, but he was also the saving word. The word here in the text means this, logos. The word logos means message. So if God is speaking words, the logos, who is he speaking? He's speaking Jesus. And what is he speaking? He's speaking to us a message. What is the message that God is trying to communicate to us through the person and deity of God Himself. The message is this. Salvation. When a creator of something begins to create things, He's going to speak over them so that they can work. It's called a manual in our day and age. Like when a creator brings something into existence and you and I receive the new thing, we go where? To the Logos. We go to the message that tells how this is going to work. Unless you're like me and too prideful to read a manual and then you break it and then you have to go and get a replacement and then you finally read the manual. So, in essence, Jesus, the spoken Word of God, is our manual for what God is wanting to communicate to us. And so what does God want to communicate to us? What did God speak Logos to us for? What did God give us the Word of God for? I was talking to Jenny about this last night driving home. That I think so often we come to the Word of God selfishly and pridefully. Pridefully we come to the Word of God to say, God, what does Your Word say so that I can live out Your Word? So therefore, the Word of God is for me. Like this is a manual. I'm going to read this manual and this is going to tell me what to do and what not to do. Therefore, if I know what to do and what not to do, then I can have the self-will not to do it or to do it. That's pridefully. That's what the Pharisees did. They took the Torah, memorized the Torah, and lived out the Torah, and then put another 633 commandments on top of the Torah so that they could live it out pridefully. They were called self-righteous. So my fear is we come to God's Word and we look at God's Word and say, okay, I'll do this. I won't do this. You see the word there? I, I, I. That's not God's Word for us. Or we come to God's Word and think to ourselves. I was telling Jenny this. How often do we look at God's Word like Harry Potter? Man, those are some cute stories. Like, there's a giant and a little boy and a sling and a stone. That's cute. Until you really get into it like we got into it. Oh, we go to Noah and we look at this man was uh, building a boat and then he put these cute little animals in there. And so we just look at story by story by story by story and see how do those stories relate 
to us. Same way we do with Harry Potter. Like, oh, that's a cute little boy with a little thing on his forehead and dorky glasses and a wand thing, and it's cool. And we come to God's Word like entertainment. Like, I want to be entertained. Like, give me something to entertain me. Give me something to pass the time. Give me something that will help put me to sleep. Well, either way, that's not God's message to us. That's not what the Word of God is. It's not for our self-righteousness and it's not for our entertainment. The Word of God is given to us to be the saving Word of God to us. And so we must come to God's Word to say to us, God, how is this Word given to me to keep me in relationship with You? Because if we come to God's Word and it's about Him and not about us, then everything in our life changes. Then we will want to do these things and not do these things. Not because we ought to do them or not do them. It's because, man, I want this right relationship and this full relationship with God. I don't not just cheat on Jenny because it's what I'm not supposed to do. I don't cheat on Jenny because I want an intimate relationship with her. I want to fully be known by her and I want her to fully know me. Therefore, I don't do certain things. Not because I want to be self-righteous, because I want intimacy with her. And that's what Jesus is telling us through His story. You really want to know what it's like to live and live fully? Here it is. You want to live fully? Here it is. That's what Jesus says later on in the Gospels. This is my message that I would come that you might believe and that you might have life and life to the full. But you have to believe in the message I'm giving to you. That's the message. That's the saving message. And what's the heart of the saving message? It's that God would proclaim His love to His people. You see, this isn't a book of do's and don'ts. This is a love letter to all of us. This is His way of saying, this is how much I care for you. This is how much I want to be in relationship. This is what I desire for you. This is what I long for in you. This is what I want for you. You see, Adam and Eve had that at creation. They didn't need the Word of God because they had God Himself fully present at all times. Like there was not a moment before the fall that they ever felt distant from God. They would have never had the prayers that we see in Psalm. Oh God, where are you? They would have never have felt that. There was never a moment, think this for a moment, there was never a moment that Adam or Eve before the fall thought, where are you, God? How many of us have prayed that and thought that and wondered that? That wasn't true for Adam and Eve because God was always with them. And then we see the rest of the Old Testament is people after people after people, after people longing to be with God. Is that not true in our own hearts? Do we not long to be with God? Well, why is that longing there? It's called sin. 
sin-fractured relationship with a holy God. So therefore, we would have that longing. And so God said to us, I've made you for a purpose. I've made you to be in relationship with you. And the whole Old Testament is paving the way for the New Testament for it to be said of this. And this leads into the next point. In verse 14. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh. Catch the next word. This is the most important word of the text. And dwelt among us. You see, Jesus could be the divine Word of God and Jesus could be the saving Word of God. But that doesn't do us a whole lot of good if God through Jesus remains over there. See, that next word captures everything which leads to the last point. The Word is with us. It's called Emmanuel. That is His name. Not that God is any longer over there, but God is now right here. It it has the Word to do with dwelling. Takes His dwelling in us. Remember the Old Testament. They put up a a tabernacle. They put up a, a tent so that God would come and dwell in the tent. Well, he uses the same word, John uses the same exact word that he uses for the tabernacle, but now he says, hey, he no longer needs the tent, but you who believe in him, you're now the tent. Do you under, do you get, man, mind blown. That God doesn't have to be over there. God through Jesus, being fully God and fully man, now resides here with us. Remember throughout the Old Testament, how many times people said, God, I just want to see you. I really want to see you, God. Remember Moses saying that? Remember? God, I want to see your face. And God said, oh, no, 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 no. I mean, you, you can't see my face. or It'll fry off. That's Todd's version. Right? And so God says, hey, well, here's what I'll do. I'll, I'll let you see part of me. And I'm going to let you see the very tail end of me. But no, I need you to go hide in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by. When I pass by the very end of my train, you can look at. And remember, Moses gets a glimpse of the very tail end of the, tra- the train of his robe and he comes down off the mountain and he looks like a teenage girl getting ready uh, for um, a cheerleading event. He's fried out of his face. Fake and bake. But he got the real deal. And he's as burnt to a crisp because he caught the very tail end of God. And now what does it say? That now we get to see the fullness of God. And not only do we get to see the fullness of God, but the fullness of God dwells in us. Do we get that? If you're a believer, God dwells in you. That ought to change everything about us. Like We ought to look like Paul. what Paul says, for the sake of the God, I ought to look crazy because of what Christ has done for us. Because the saving message, the Word of God through Jesus now lives with us. He's here in our midst. Do we get that? He promised us that when two or more are gathered, I'm there with you. Like Jesus is in this place, this very moment. That's because of Christmas. That's because Jesus came and dwelt like a baby and lived a perfect sinless life 
so that we could have life to the full. And the only way we're going to have life to the full is if God lived in us and with us always. And so I ask this question. Do we know that God? Do we believe that God? There's a story that goes like this, and I'll close it with this. Henry Ford, everyone knows, the famous inventor Henry Ford gave us automobiles. Well, one day the automobile line, the assembly line at the Ford plant broke down. And so Henry Ford came out of the lofty office and came to the floor, was trying to fix it, was trying to grab other fi- people to fix it because money was stopped. As long as that thing wasn't going, there would be no money. And so Ford said, we got to get these cars out of here so we can make money. And so he brought in all the mechanics of the the, the plant, and no one could fix it. So who does Henry Ford call? He called the inventor. He called him up and said, hey, there's something wrong. We can't figure it out. We come down here and fix it. So the man that invented the assembly line came to the plant and started looking around, started tinkering. Took him about 10 minutes. He tinkered with a few things, went over and flipped, flipped the switch, and all of a sudden, this assembly line started working within 10 minutes of the inventor getting there. Well, a few weeks later, there's a letter in the mail for uh, Mr. Ford, and the the bill came, and the bill said uh, ten thousand dollars. Well, ten thousand dollars back in that day was a ton of money, and so Mr. Ford, being the money man that he was, sent a question air back, a dispute back to the inventor, and said, "Hey, um, you tinker with it for ten minutes, and you're charging ten thousand dollars." So the inventor wrote back. Tinkering, $10. Knowing where to tinker, $9,990. And that's a funny story. But here's the gift. God knew we were broken people because of our sin. He knew we were broken people. But not only did He know we were broken people, He knew exactly how we needed to be fixed. Why? Because Genesis 1, John 1, in the beginning was God. It says this, in Him all things were created. He's the creator of our life, our soul, our salvation. You see, God knew because He created you had to tinker with you to save you. And it was nothing about you. It was about sending His precious Son for you. He knew the only way for us to be fixed was because of His Son, Jesus, coming as a baby to live a perfect, sinless life for 33 and a half years to go then to absorb the wrath of God on a cross for us. You see, that's what Christmas is all about. It's about God tinkering with us and for us through His Son Jesus to bring salvation to us. And then through Jesus, He becomes the fullness of God. Jesus now, when we look at Jesus, we see the fullness of God. A God of compassion, of God of kindness, of God of care, of God of healing, but ultimately of God that can only save. Do you know that, God, today? That is the message of Christmas. 
That is the message of love. God saved us when nothing else could or would. Let us pray. God, we do come to you this morning.